0: Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the 12th episode of the second season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. Unfortunately, Jordan is not with us today. She is feeling sick. Jordan, we love you. We wish you feel better soon. But with us back today is Hannah Walner.
1: Hey, good to be here, everybody, yet again. I am pinch hitting on the podcast.
0: I thoroughly enjoy when you are on the podcast because you share this passion and love for the dark and macabre with me.
1: I I do. It's true. I live there, twenty four seven, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so since it is uh, just about Valentine's Day, we decided to do a dark, spooky Valentine's Day type podcast. This is haunting heartbreak. Uh-huh. Love and tragedy have a dark, haunted connection that is said to be the source of many ghostly tales. Some believe that the intense emotions of love and loss are so powerful that they linger on after death, resulting in restless spirits who are unable to find peace. The ghostly remains of doomed lovers are said to haunt the places where they once lived and loved, their spirits forever bound by the tragedy of their untimely end. It is whispered that ghosts of these lovers are especially dangerous to those who dare fall in love, as they will stop at nothing to repeat the same fate that befell them in life. The passion and devotion associated with love can cause individuals to disregard caution and reason, leading them to make decisions that have tragic consequences. In this way, love and tragedy are connected, as the intense emotions of love can serve as both source of happiness and a catalyst for disaster. Let's hold hands as I take us through some dark ghost stories of tragic love. I'm going to start with a story entitled Emily's Bridge. Built in 1844, this single-lane, 50-foot-long bridge carries what is known as Covered Bridge Road over Goldbrook in Stowe, Vermont.
1: CJ and I went through Stowe, Vermont... did you really we did we went uh we went up to shelburne vermont uh, a couple of years ago for vacation
0: okay cool and you didn't go over any covered bridges did you
1: i you know i don't think we did but i did see one in a museum they had like the whole covered bridge holy crap yeah it was wild yeah Yeah, i think
0: they have a lot of covered bridges up there
1: probably it's very picturesque country
0: oh yeah (laughs) although the picturesque country does come with some dark tragedy it's wooden frame, darkened by time and weather, has been the setting of one of New England's most famous ghost stories. Some versions say that Emily and her boyfriend were meeting at the bridge to elope, since her parents had not approved. Others say that Emily was left at the wedding altar. Whichever love tragedy happened, the heartbroken Emily took her own life by hanging herself from one of the rafters inside the bridge.
1: Oh, girl, he's not worth it. Oh, she must have loved him very much. I, geez, I guess.
0: Ever since, her ghost is said to haunt the bridge, and many visitors have claimed to see her apparition or feel her presence. Whichever love tragedy happened, the heartbroken Emily took her own life by hanging herself from one of the rafters inside the bridge. Oh,
1: uh, girl, he's not worth it. Uh, she must have loved him very much. Jeez, I, I guess.
0: Ever since, her ghost is said to haunt the bridge, and many visitors have claimed to see her apparition or feel her presence. Some say that if you cross the bridge at night and stop in the middle... You can hear the sound of her ghostly scream and the tightening of the rope she used to end her life.
1: Oh, that's brutal, man.
0: Then you hear her dangling feet dragging on the top of your car. Actually, even visitors have reported large scratch marks appearing on their car and themselves.
1: If a ghost scratches my car, I'm coming back the next day to ask for their (laughs) insurance information.
0: (laughs) She's pissed, man. (laughs) Don't fuck with my car. Despite the chilling tales, visitors still flock to Emily's Bridge to catch a glimpse of the ghostly apparition or experience
1: the eerie atmosphere for themselves. Wow. Cool beans, man. I would definitely go. I would, too. I would try it. Yeah. Come come at me, ghosts.
0: But could you imagine just, like, you stop the car and it's silent and all of a sudden you just hear, like, a scream (laughs) and the rope tightening and you just hear this, like, dragging sound on the roof of your car.
1: Very... Very atmospherically awful. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I like it. This next one is pretty tragic as well, and awful. This one's The Old Faithful Inn. Yellowstone has many ghost stories, but the most famous is the ghostly tale of the Headless Bride at Yellowstone's Old Faithful Inn that has been a staple of folklore for generations. The legend starts in 1915 New York. The wealthy owner of a shipping company had a teenage daughter that was a bit of a... Rebel.
1: Is that putting it nicely, or is it? I don't know. Was she like? Was she a like a floozy? Was she a flapper? I don't
0: know if she was a floozy, but she definitely rebelled against her parents quite a bit. Get it,
1: girl. You go get it.
0: She thought of herself as a modern woman and rejected the arranged marriage to a young man from another well-to-do family. Instead, she wanted to marry a much older man who worked in their house as a servant. Of course, for a wealthy family back then, that would be, like, nah. This yeah. isn't happening. You're not marrying the servant.
1: Yeah, you can't, you like, know? switch out of social classes. I'm sure you can, like, if you're already wealthy, you can climb up and be wealthier. Yeah. But, like, if you... you don't marry you, down. Yeah. Then it's dishonor. Yeah. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your whole family.
0: Obviously, the father really had his daughter's best interest in mind when he tried to convince her that the servant was a gold digger. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> and not the loving gentleman that she thought he was. But there was no convincing her. The young heiress and the old servant went ahead with the wedding. The father was heartbroken, but he had a plan. For a wedding gift, he gave the couple a substantial dowry. The acceptance of the money came with an agreement that the daughter would not receive any additional support from her family and that they would leave New York forever. The father was hoping that this agreement would make the servant back out of the wedding, knowing that they would not inherit anything after the family died. However, the couple agreed to the dowry and went to Yellowstone for their honeymoon, staying in the old Faithful Inn's room 127. It was a fairly new hotel then, having been built in 1903 or 1904, and it was the place to take a fashionable vacation.
1: It's a little bit like uh, Overlook Hotel style. Right? You know, the rich people yeah. go out into the to fo- the forests to, like, take in the air. Yep. You know, get, exactly. get some of that mountain air on your tuberculosis. <laughs>
0: There's no tuberculosis in this story, but there is something terrible about to happen. It didn't take much time for the husband to show his true colors. On the way to Yellowstone, he lavishly spent the money at the taverns and playing poker.
1: No, he was an asshole. Uh-huh. Uh And the, the dad, it didn't even work.
0: Exactly. Shit. The couple had been a month into their honeymoon trip when they ran out of money. There wasn't even enough to pay their hotel bill. Staff at the Old Faithful Inn uh, witnessed nightly arguments loud enough to be heard outside of their private room.
1: That sounds like my neighbors. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> to my neighbors! <laughs> they fight in the parking lot so the kids don't hear them.
0: Uh, so I'm sure the kids can still hear them.
1: <laughs> if we can hear them, the kids can hear them.
0: Yeah. Shit. By now the bride had realized her misjudgment and she phoned home to her father asking for money. The answer was no. Denied. Then, one night, the argument was louder and more violent than usual. The husband stormed out of the hotel room, slamming the door. This was the last time anyone would see of him. Wow. The hotel staff respectably gave the new bride her privacy for a couple of days, but then they became worried and took a peek inside the room. It looked like a hurricane had thrown every bit of bedding and clothing around the room, but the bride was not in the bedroom. A hotel maid ventured into the bathroom and her screams brought many of the staff and guests to find the bride in the bathtub, bloody and missing her head.
1: Yikes.
0: Although they searched the hotel, her head was nowhere to be found.
1: Oh my god, did he take it?
0: Well, in a couple of days, attention was directed to the highest point of the hotel. Up in the crow's nest, <gasps> where the band played, but there was a horrible odor wafting all the way to the lobby. Oh,
1: it's flesh. For, it's human. Further
0: investigation revealed that the bride's head was hidden in the crow's nest.
1: You son of a bitch. He was an awful dick. Yeah!
0: The tragedy of a young woman who fell for the wrong man and met a violent end has captured the imagination of visitors to the hotel, many of whom report sightings of a ghostly apparition. Despite the macabre nature of the story, the headless bride continues to be a popular attraction, drawing visitors to the hotel to experience the eerie atmosphere and possibly catch a glimpse of a woman wearing a flowing white dress walking down the stairs from the crow's nest with her head under her arm.
1: That kicks so much ass, right? I mean, I know, I know she died horribly and was beheaded, but, but she like, kind of
0: sounds like a badass ghost, right? Like, she's gonna walk
1: around with her head under her arms, like it's like <laughs> all you, all you bitch ass dudes down here yep get out of my way exactly i'm coming for you nuts (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool now we're going to
0: take a trip overseas and i'm going to talk about bride's pool bride's pool in china is a serene and tranquil place surrounded by lush greenery and surrounded by the gentle sound of running water but beneath its peaceful exterior bride's pool has a dark and sinister secret The story of Bride's Pool is one of heartbreak and tragedy, and it is said that the spirits of the brides who drowned in its waters still haunt the area to this day. According to legend, the pool was once a popular spot for arranged marriages. Young brides, dressed in their finest gowns, would come to the pool to be united with their husbands in a traditional wedding ceremony. However, not all of these marriages were happy ones, and many brides were forced into the union against their will. Some brides, unable to bear the thought of a life of unhappiness and oppression, chose to take their own lives by jumping into the pool.
1: How was it like a well? Was it like from
0: the pictures that I've seen? Um, it's like a very deep area of water with like a waterfall, and the waterfall trickles down and almost looks like a veil.
1: Oh, kind of why it's also called Bride's,
0: bride's pool. pool.
1: That makes sense. Um,
0: it's definitely deep enough to drown yourself. If
1: okay. You want to. Cause I, I don't know, man. I feel like I would not be able to drown myself without being weighted.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be able. Cause to I,
1: I, dude, I swim. I float. I know yeah. how. I know how that works. If I don't... you're
0: this unhappy,
1: I guess. Maybe. But how do you just, like, uh, absolutely? Like, I get it. I get the the unhappiness thing. Yeah. I just don't get the physics of it. Cause I, I don't know, man. I've like I've fallen into into water <laughs> in my life, and I'm usually yeah. just like, oh shit, this is. This is moist, you know? Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't have the details on how they drowned themselves. Yeah, put some rocks in your pockets. Yeah, maybe.
1: Do a little Sylvia Plath out there. Who knows? Not me.
0: But over time, the stories of the drowned bride spread, and the pool became known as a place of sorrow and despair. Some say that on still nights, the ghostly cries of brides can be heard echoing through the area, and that the brides themselves can be seen walking along the water's edge, their ghostly white gowns trailing behind them. Uh, this is China, right?
1: It was in China? I don't know if China is a culture that wears red for weddings, because I know there are some Asian countries that wear red for weddings because white is like a color for death.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah. So I, I'm like, well,
0: maybe they're wearing their death dresses.
1: Yeah, like now they're wearing white because they're dead, not because they're brides. I don't yeah. know. So it's one of those.
0: That's interesting. The
1: more you know, right? And I guess if you're coming in from the outside too, and and witnessing this as someone who's maybe like a tourist or going yeah. to see the the spooky brides pool, then you see a woman in a white dress out there, you're just like, oh obviously this is a bride, rather than, oh, obviously this woman is dead. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So it's one of those.
0: And uh, these visitors to Bride's Pool have reported strange and eerie occurrences, such as the feeling of being watched, whispers at night, and the sudden chill in the air that signals the presence of these brides. It is said that those who approach the pool too closely risk being pulled under by the brides. They are said to be seeking revenge against those who wrong them in life. Despite the warnings, Bride's Pool remains a popular tourist destination, and many people visit the area each year to witness the haunting beauty of the waterfalls and the eerie presence of the Brides. There is no denying that the story of Bride's Pool is one of the most haunting and frightening tales in all of China, and it is a true statement of the power of love and tragedy. Now I'm going to talk about Big Moose Lake. Big Moose Lake, located in the Adirondack Mountains, is a relatively large body of water, Three miles long and one mile wide, it covers a total of 1,265 acres and reaches 70 feet at its deepest point. It is the source of the Moose Rivers, all of which flow into the Great Lakes. However, Big Moose Lake is not just a beautiful vacation spot. It is also the site of a chilling ghost story that has been passed down through generations. Grace Brown was the daughter of a successful farmer and factory worker from the town of Austellick, but living in Cortland, over 50 miles away from Big Moose Lake. She worked in the Gillette Skirt Factory where the owner's nephew, Chester Gillette, soon took notice of her. A well-known womanizer, he began pursuing a relationship with a beautiful Grace.
1: Wow, they have like first name, last name, and, and details. Oh yeah. This is, it's not like just the bride this right. time. I like it. I like <laughs> the details. It, it, it rings of truth. In
0: 1906, two years after being in the relationship, Grace discovered that she was pregnant. Oops. She tried to convince Gillette to marry her, but when he did, saying that he needed time to think, Brown moved back to Astellic to live with her parents. However, when she learned that Gillette was using his time to see other women, she moved back.
1: Oh, he's not worth it either. None of these dudes are worth it. Nah. Fuck him.
0: Once more, Brown attempted to convince Gillette to marry her and expressed worry about her family, saying that she would not like to burden her mother with the fact that she was pregnant before marriage. Finally, Gillette said he would marry her during a holiday trip to the Adirondacks. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) (laughs) You need it.
1: Just just break it up a little bit.
0: Brown and Gillette took a trip to Big Moose Lake, where they rented a rowboat from a man named Robert Morrison and struck out onto the water.
1: That's a bad choice. Yes. Never.
0: is not going to end well.
1: No. Especially if the dude is already, like, I don't know, kind of a dick. This, ooh, he, he already said he doesn't want to marry me and have this yeah. child, and he's and out he's going out sowing his wild oats, Yeah, she's you like know. pushing
0: him, marry me, marry me, marry me, and then like he's like, okay, let's take a trip.
1: Yeah, <laughs> let's go out into the middle of nowhere exactly. and like rent a boat where no one can hear you scream. And out
0: on the water is where he showed his true intentions. He had no intention of marrying Grace and was instead planning to leave her behind. They never returned, so the next morning, Morrison organized a search party. Obviously, he wanted his boat back, but I think he was also worried about them. Yeah,
1: it's like, (laughs) oh, that guy took that chick out there. Yeah,
0: he's like, where's the boat also? These kids are missing.
1: Yeah, I have concerns.
0: The rowboat had capsized. A short distance from it, they found Grace's body. Two days later, police found Chester Gillette in a nearby hotel. At first, he denied even knowing Grace Brown, Then, he claimed Grace had drowned herself in despair because he didn't love her anymore. My guy. Few believed him and knew that either he struck her, causing her to fall and drown, or he forcefully drowned her himself. Fucking hell. He was tried and convicted of first-degree murder. (laughs) On March 30th, 1908, Chester Gillette died in the electric chair. Had justice been served? Apparently not enough to satisfy the restless spirit of Grace Brown. Get him. The story of Grace and Chester quickly spread throughout the region, and many people have reported seeing Grace's ghostly figure wandering the lake shore and surrounding woods. Some claim to have seen her ghostly apparition floating on the water, her hair trailing behind her as she swims aimlessly, searching for her lost love.
1: That's another one that just kicks untold amounts of ass. Right? That's so cool.
0: Over the years, many people have reported strange and unexplained phenomena on big moose lake, including eerie whispers in the wind ghostly laughter echoing through the trees, and sudden cold spots that seem to come out of nowhere. Some believe that Grace's ghost still haunts the lake, seeking justice for her untimely death and the broken promises of the man she loved. To this day, Moose Lake remains one of the most haunted places in the Adirondacks, and many visitors still avoid the lake at night, afraid of encountering Grace's ghostly presence.
1: Wow. That's a good one, too. I like the... I wonder if she okay, she swims aimlessly. So I wonder if she's like like face down. Could you see that? Just I like wonder. floating face imagine down. That. Hair is trailing like I guess technically in front of her, just a uh-huh. big seaweedy curtain. Yeah. You know? I'm
0: picturing like the ring chick almost, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> or imagine her like standing straight up but under the water. Ooh. And she she like rises. Slowly, Yeah. With her hair trailing behind her. That's a cool one, too. <laughs> I like the visuals, man. Right? But Get imagine, her. like,
0: it's nighttime, and you just see, like, a woman out in the lake. Like, what the hell do you think?
1: You're like, oh, no. There's somebody out there.
0: Yeah. And then you yell for her, and you're, like, looking around to see if there's anyone, and then
1: gone. Disappears. Or even worse, she turns around and looks at you. She's closer. (laughs) 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 I like it. I like that one too.
0: Now let's go to a story about jealousy and infidelity. Ooh, we're getting spicy. This one's called Castillo de San Marcos. The Castillo de San Marcos in St. Augustine, Florida is home to one of the most haunting Mm -hmm. tales in the country. The fort is built of masonry and considered to be the oldest of its kind in the U.S. and holds the story of infidelity and murder. In 1784, Colonel Garcia Marti arrived with his young wife Dolores to the fort. However, he was not a faithful husband and often neglected Dolores, leading her to seek solace in an affair with Captain Manuel Abella, her husband's assistant.
1: Get it, Dolores.
0: If he's not being faithful, then why should yeah. she, right?
1: Like, I mean, okay, two wrongs don't make a right. No, but, but... like, I get it, though. Yeah. I get it.
0: The affair was eventually discovered when Garcia detected Dolores' distinct perfume on Manuel. Soon after, both Dolores and Manuel disappeared without a trace. Garcia claimed that Dolores had returned to Spain and that Manuel was on a special mission in Cuba.
1: Oh, shit. So we killed both of them? It took me... <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second to process.
0: <laughs> well, that. about 50 years later, a hidden chamber was discovered in the fort's dungeon behind a brick wall. The remains of a woman and man were found with some accounts saying they were chained to the wall, while others say they they just found piles of ashes and bone.
1: How would you even know if that was a man and a woman if they were just ashes? You wouldn't. Yeah. Like he straight cask of a montalado of them. He did? Yeah. Yeah. He walled him in there. Exactly. That's bananas.
0: Sightings of a ghostly woman in a white dress, accompanied with a delicate fragrance, have been reported in the fort ever since. Some visitors have claimed to see a ghostly figure, who is believed to be Dolores, wandering the halls searching for her lost love. The spirit of Manuel has also been spotted in the fort, seemingly searching for Dolores. Oh, man. The story of Dolores and Manuel has become one of the most famous ghost stories associated with the uh, Castillo de San Marcos. Visitors to the fort often report experiencing a feeling of sadness and longing while in the presence of Dolores' ghost. Some claim to hear a whispered please for help, while others report feeling icy, cold breath on the back of their necks. Despite the eerie haunting presence of the ghostly couple, visitors continue to flock to the Castillo de San Marcos to experience the rich history and eerie atmosphere of the oldest masonry fort in the United States.
1: That's cool. That's a cool story. I like yeah. I like ones that have like the the spectral sense. Yes.
0: You know. Very cool. And this one's unique like they didn't discover this until f- about 50 years later.
1: Wow. They
0: didn't find the bodies till
1: then. And I guess that's a whole um, Well, I guess he got away with it. First of all, yeah, because he's probably yeah he's probably dead.
0: Yeah, they're gonna believe him. He was was high ranking and yeah, he just said she went to Spain and he was on a mission.
1: Yeah, and I guess
0: that's that. He got away with it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that is my dark, ghostly, tragic love stories. We're gonna take a short separation and we'll be right back. The Spooky Shop is now open for Ghost Encounters merch. Visit ghost-encounters.com and click on Spooky Shop. This episode is brought to you by The Colony Meadery. If you haven't tried mead yet, it's alcohol made from honey, and it's the fastest growing alcoholic beverage in the United States. It's all natural, totally gluten-free, and delicious. And one of the best meaderies in the world is right here in the Lehigh Valley. Stop in and try a flight of meads, grab some bottles or cans to go, and experience some of the best booze in the world. They've got flavors ranging from tart and quaffable lemon laws and wu-tang crayon to cinnamon vanilla series of tubes and even the sweet heat of their mango habanero. Learn more at either location or at colonymeadery.com. Ghost Encounters podcast and show is sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your online presence with their expert social media marketing, photography, and video productions. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If all you spooky people are enjoying the Ghost Encounters podcast, hit subscribe and give us five stars. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch full episodes of the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost encounters.com. And we are back. Hannah, what do you have for us on this volatile Valentine's Day episode?
1: Oh, that is a good one. Um,. I figured, I guess we're in keeping with the Vs, we're going to talk about Queen Victoria. Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, I really, I'm a person who's really into Victorian mourning customs, and you can't really talk about the spawning of the Victorian mourning custom without talking about the, uh, the epic love story of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Okay. So, the Victorian age is 1847 to 1901, which coincides with the rule of England by, well, in some colonies, by Queen Victoria. <laughs> uh, they are regarded as soulmates. They had this big, grand love affair. Um, and they, I'm not sure, I'm not super sure if they were lovers at first sight, but definitely at first meeting. Okay. Um, they were into each other, uh, the, despite the fact that they were kind of a... They weren't necessarily an arranged marriage, but they were earmarked to be married okay. by their grandmother who set them up. And so she they, set them... So
0: they were arranged, but they loved each other deeply anyway. Yes, they well, did. that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's sweet. It is. It's sweet. Unlike you like to hear bride's it. pool, you Yeah, know.
1: nobody's drowning <laughs> themselves because of Prince Albert. However um they were first cousins to each other
0: as i guess happened back then but that's especially with the royals you know first cousins
1: (laughs) not even not even like
0: third cousins. first cousins
1: (laughs) it's a big oof um most of what we know about their relationship is through victoria's diaries she was a very prolific diarist oh wow um and she wrote of albert upon their first meeting, that she felt attracted to him and that he was extremely handsome with big blue eyes, fine teeth, and a delightful expression. Um,
0: What's yeah. considered fine teeth back then?
1: <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Especially if you're a royal, you had, like, sugar in your diet. Yeah. So, like, if your teeth weren't black stumps... I guess they were fine teeth. <laughs> yeah, you're probably pretty good. Um, but she she described him as kind, sensible, good, and amiable... And that he made her perfectly happy. So it wasn't just the physical, it was the... Uh... Well, this is
0: starting out to be very nice and sweet. Right? Compared to what I was talking about. Yeah,
1: but that's, you know, that's where you get the... The passion starts small when yeah. you love somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, you love somebody and, uh, I don't know, theoretically you have a nice life. Uh, they were together for 21 years and they had a bunch of kids. They were happy. They were super happy. They Mm. were super into each other. At least until Albert died. (laughs) Oh boy. He died at the age of 42 of allegedly typhoid fever, but it took a couple of weeks for him to die and was painful and unpleasant. Oh, I can imagine. (laughs) But you know, at least he got to die at home. Uh, The queen turned to mourning uh, for really the next for the rest of her life.
0: Oh, wow. She
1: she mourned for Albert for the rest of her life. Um, Immediately, she had the servants, like, change nothing. Like, he had not died. Like, he was still alive. She had them bringing in hot water for him to shave. She would have them lay out his clothes in the morning. Oh,
0: my gosh. She was really distraught. She she was was a little messed up. Yeah, she was in heavy
1: denial. Um, She was really, really into Albert. He was her companion, father of her kids, you know? Uh, so it's tragic that she she spent a lot of time after that, um, mourning her husband. She had statues made. She displayed uh, mementos of his around the palace, and she spent a lot of time, she very rarely made um, appearances, public appearances after mm. that. She spent a lot of time in Windsor Castle or in Balmoral. Uh, where she had spent a lot of time with Albert. I
0: could, yeah. I was gonna say probably with him. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she, she grieved him her whole life. Um, she observed the Victorian mourning customs until her death at eighty-one, and she had her court do the same for three years. Really? Yeah, three whole years. <laughs> and um, I guess Victorian mourning customs were intense. There were a lot of things that you were societally obligated to do
0: see i've never learned about victorian death customs so i'm really interested in what
1: Uh, what these are i love it it's all very like richly symbolic which i enjoy there's a lot of iconography involved and there's obviously a lot of there's there are things you need to wear there are things you need to do uh for example uh you had to wear all black which, you know, people still do that. Yeah,
0: that one's a little bit obvious. Yeah. You,
1: know. <laughs> you wear all black. Mostly um, women were expected to wear veils. They were expected to wear a kind of fabric called crepe, which uh, is apparently, you're not supposed to wear it with anything else. Like, you can't wear it with satin or you can't wear it with, um, I don't know, silk.
0: Okay, I'm picturing, like, fucking Lalorana in her black dress and veil just, like, yeah. wandering around, like, You were supposed to,
1: yeah, you were supposed to do it up like La Llorona style. Um, You could wear no jewelry other than specifically mourning jewelry, which was typically made of jet. So it was like big, dark, black, coal-like stones. Uh, If you couldn't afford the jet, you could wear, uh, like, garnet. You could wear imitation. I don't know how garnets more or less expensive than jet, but black garnet was a thing. Uh, And there were depending the the time you spent mourning the person was directly related to who they were to you like if for example if your husband passed away you were to mourn for two years but if your child passed away or your parent passed away then the appropriate mourning period was one year and if you (laughs) why
0: would the parents be the same time as a child i don't know that's Interesting.
1: Yeah, and I feel like if if I don't know, maybe maybe if it's your adult, if you're an adult and it's you're mourning your own parents, you know. But if you're like a child, I don't think you can expect it to mourn your parents. I don't know how that works. Do they? Yeah, did they give like, the kids a break? They had
0: like specific mourning time
1: they did yeah and like it, it goes further i didn't write down all of them but like there were specific periods for like an aunt or an uncle or a cousin wow. like if your cousin died you had to mourn for this amount of time interesting yeah and for funerals uh there was a lot of symbolism involved there were specific flowers to mean specific things like uh, obviously you want roses but you want the colors to be as dark as possible. If you can get like a deep purple or a black, that's preferred. Uh, There are carnations are a Victorian morning flower uh, that it signified death. You, um, if someone in your house dies, you're supposed to put up a wreath of black crepe uh, fabric and laurel leaves so that other people know and people just i don't know do you is this formal is it written down somewhere or do you know it through like cultural osmosis i, I guess
0: i mean there's a lot of things we do today that's just cultural osmosis you yeah know? you just know so yeah i guess back then it was just kind of like you knew yeah you know and i guess like oh they probably didn't have things like the communication wasn't what it, like what it is today. You know, you didn't have the obituary section. You didn't have posts on social media. and Yeah, that's um, true. Things like that. So this was kind of like the way of, I guess, notifying the public, hey, I just lost someone. Either leave me alone or give me a gift or something. Yeah. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My parents are dead. Bring me presents. <laughs> or at least a casserole. You know? Right. Bring something. somebody a casserole. Yeah. Um, oh, and... Victorians are kind of the, uh, the authors of the concept of a memento mori, which means it's, it's either a little object or a, a piece of art uh, with containing this death symbolism, uh, which you can carry with you or wear. Um, often it'll be like a piece of jewelry mm. containing jet, as we talked about, yeah. but it can also uh, be made of hair or teeth from the deceased.
0: No, I ain't doing that. No.
1: <laughs> oh man. I don't know about wearing teeth. Well, I don't know about ah. teeth. But hair, I I've seen some really really beautiful like Victorian hairwork jewelry that's
0: crazy it's just the hair from the dead person just made yeah. into jewelry that's
1: it, crazy. like woven into lace or in little curly cues or you can just keep like a little a little they're piece they're literally of in
0: the asking to be haunted by <laughs> their loved one you know
1: they are and I yeah, at the time I feel like if you grieve someone enough and you you miss them enough uh that's I welcomed it. I get that you know you yeah. can like c- come I at me ghosts I don't know with the teeth but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, that's um, yeah. Victoria was into that kind of thing. And that's cool. Yeah, her whole yeah. life from Albert's death, uh, they were they were of an age. I guess she was about forty, so really around forty years she mourned. Yeah, wow, well, that's a long her time. Yes. But I I started with this story to kind of give a little bit of context for the other story that follows it, but maybe not the last story that follows it. Uh, Because the next one, it makes it a little less weird because there's already a precedent of very intense mourning customs that sometimes involve parts of a deceased person's body and or hair.
0: So we're going to talk about more than just hair and teeth.
1: Yes. Oh boy. Okay, here it comes. Next, I'm going to be talking about Mary Shelley. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know a little bit
0: about what she did that right. you're going to bring up, but I don't know the whole story, so okay. I'm excited.
1: So, everybody, okay, if you, I'm not saying everybody knows this, but if you don't know this, you should know this that Mary Shelley is responsible for writing Frankenstein.
0: Correct. The yes.
1: original. The official title of the book is Frankenstein, the Postmodern Prometheus, which is really it, it's a classic.
0: Yeah. Like, and most people don't realize that it was written by a woman.
1: Yeah. And she is like the founding queen of the horror sci-fi genre yeah. as a whole. It, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's I really can't understate how extraordinary her life was. Um Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was born in 1797, already to two exceptional writers. Her father was William Goodwin, who is an acclaimed journalist and political philosopher, widely regarded to be the father of political anarchy. Really? Yeah, wow. he was like...
0: I didn't he, know her parents were writers and cool people Yeah,
1: too. yeah, she, she was involved. Uh, her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, who is the author of also the radical political book, The Vindication of the Rights of Woman. Hold
0: on. A woman... So Mary Shelley was born in 1797, which means her mother was born way before that, and she was able to write a book regarding women's rights? Mm Mm-hmm. She was way beyond her time. I can't even believe they allowed that to be written or printed.
1: Yeah, really, they were all just... They were all regarded as... Radicals and anarchists Well yeah (laughs) Which I love I love it Uh, So she did have She did have this Literary pedigree Of sorts Um, And she She did write on her own She didn't have any Formal schooling But her father Mm. uh, Taught her She was encouraged to write Right Um, And Mary Shelley Was Also this person Who Death kind of Dogged her Her entire life her mother did survive childbirth, but later died of infection. So she never really knew her mother. She and her family had already had this rift because her father remarried immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was the As time. They did that yeah, though. back in the day. You got right. yeah, this other partner to keep the house and whatever. But uh, she was. Her stepmother didn't like her. Her stepmother vastly preferred her own children to marry. So she was kind of on the outside. Mm. And, however, she did remain still close to her father, and he he encouraged her to write, Uh, he gave her what little schooling she had, Mm -hmm. Um, and they were close. Uh, Actually, her father also introduced her to Percy Shelley, who was his, um, sort of his protege in political radicalism. (laughs) (laughs) And they... Hit it off immediately. This is another love story.
0: Yeah, oh, so, of course.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. So they hit it off immediately, and her father was mad about it. Really? Yeah. You would think that, being that this was his birthday, right, oh, like, no, You like my
0: daughter. Oh. Huh.
1: Because Percy was married. Oh. Yikes. Yeah. And yeah. And they embark on this sort of pseudo exile to Italy. Where they go to avoid Percy's creditors, because oh, <laughs> he was an artist, he was a he was a, a political radical from a uh, very upper crust British family, and they were like, "Dude, stop!"
0: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so like, they go to avoid his creditors, not his current wife or her father.
1: No. They, they just left because okay. of the money. Although I suppose the family situation didn't make I'm it. sure
0: it didn't help, but yeah. like the main um, cause of action is the money.
1: Yes, but they were just so in love. Actually, the gothest story ever, Mary Shelley lost her virginity to Percy Shelley atop her mother's grave.
0: Oh my lord.
1: Yeah. She is <laughs> just the gothest shit. of us all. She's the gothest of us all. I love wow. it. Wow. Get it. Get it, girl. Get weird in the like, graveyard.
0: She wasn't angry at her mother or anything. Why are you? Why are you having sex on top of her
1: grave? She spent okay. So she spent a lot of time in the graveyard anyway. So I feel like uh, she was probably there. You ever just into that transgression? You know, where you spit at death. You spit at this death that's okay, been dogging yeah. you your life. You know, I get yeah. it. I get it. Okay, okay I, I get it. I love it um i'm not weird i swear
0: and <laughs> we're all a little weird
1: yeah uh all right so they're traveling they spent a lot of time in italy uh they had four children only one of them survives Oh wow. yeah they they all so died more death of,
0: is surrounding. more
1: it. death we're, we're surrounded by it it's the victorian era uh mary shelley is sad <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> and she's a she's a person who on top of being very intelligent uh, also has this deep sense of melancholy. We're going to backtrack a little bit and talk about Frankenstein some more. Okay, cool. So she wrote it on a dare whilst in Italy.
0: Who did the dare?
1: Well, it was... She was stranded on this on, on, like lakeside in this villa with Percy Shelley, uh, Lord Byron... And okay. some other guy who was a literary great at the time. Yeah. And because they're all uh, stuck inside with this horrible storm raging around, they think, hey, we're we're living in the Victorian era. Let's all write some ghost stories. Yeah. And that was, you know, the, uh, the birth of Frankenstein.
0: So she writes this story on a dare. Did someone else come up with the idea? Or did they just say, like, hey, write a horror story about it?
1: No, it was all her. She like uh, she got this flash of inspiration okay. uh, in a dream. The story is really to have someone who is so uh, frustrated with death that they decide to spit in the face of God and create this creature. Right. They create this life um, from dead people parts and yeah. chemistry. She, on the dare, she, she won that contest. Her story beat out stories by Percy, Lord Byron, and another literary great. So
0: that was the, that was the whole thing was to see who could write a better, yeah. a better story, a better scary. Hers story. Hers has lived on for yeah, s- s- still to this day.
1: Yeah, more so than just about anything written by any any of these other motherfuckers. <laughs> Percy, uh, despite really being the great love of Mary Shelley's life, he was not with her for a very long time (laughs) uh he did die and this had a very great effect on her really to the end of her life um we're coming back again with yeah uh, we're getting back to that grieving for
0: a very long long (laughs) long time
1: as is the victorian way yeah but anyway uh percy shelley died kind of weird. Um, he, while well, they were in Italy again mm-hmm. uh, he went out on a boat with two other men. The boat was called the Don Juan and he and these two other men boarded this boat to try and cross this um, like a small sea uh, during a storm and you know, isn't that interesting? You know we've got more uh, yeah. Frankenstein, lightning yeah. strikes isn't it? It's interesting. It all comes together. Mm-hmm. So he's he's out on this boat Boat capsizes. In this storm, everybody's dead. Wow. They all died. They were missing for, I think, ten days before their bodies all washed up, heavily decomposed on a beach. Wow. Yeah. Brutal. Um, When the bodies were found on that same beach, uh, his buddies, Lord Byron and another literary great, who was a different guy than was there with Frankenstein, uh, they burned his body. They oh. they built a funeral pyre on this beach, chucked him on it, and set him ablaze. Huh. However, uh, one thing that was spared from the blaze was allegedly Percy Shelley's calcified heart. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yes, and I know what you're about to say, but go ahead.
1: Yes, you do know what I'm going to say. Mary Shelley kept it. She had it. She he kept it his calcified heart, which somehow survived the funeral pyre that consumed the rest of him and was snatched from the blaze by one of his friends.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, she had to, like, fight his friend for it. Um, But she kept his heart wrapped in one of his final poems, uh, and she kept it in her writing desk till the day she died.
0: That is dark, but yet oddly poetically romantic
1: yeah right yeah i uh oh it, it just and it was found by her son who was named after percy and oh. he found his father's heart in his mother's desk drawer after she died mary shelley actually had a relatively short life i mean he um, had a short
0: life too he had a really short wow.
1: life but uh yeah mary passed away at 53 of a brain tumor wow which is awful but it's there's some debate over whether or not this like calcified lump of flesh was actually his heart. A heart, regardless of whether or not it was a little bit calcified, probably wouldn't have survived a fire right. that broke down all of the rest of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, the the debate is it could have been some random thing, uh, but it could also have been part of his liver which would have absorbed water if he had drowned and Mm. possibly stood a better chance of surviving the fire. But I don't know. I feel like a good person to answer that question would be Jordan, but she is ill. Hi, Jordan. Sorry you're sick. (laughs) Jordan, I wish you were here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tell us the anatomy answers about wet livers. It it may not have been his heart, but she thought it was. But
0: she thought it was.
1: Yeah, and the gesture stands as somebody who really misses her partner. Yeah. So now we're going to go from two very nice, heartfelt stories that involve really intense mourning uh, to the story of Carl Tanzler. Hmm. Have you heard of this guy before? I have before?
0: never heard of him. Oh
1: my god. I'm about to take you on a journey. I cannot wait. <laughs> the journey is awful. <laughs> uh, okay, so George Carl Tanzler, or also known as Count Carl von Causel was a German-born radiology technologist at the Marine Hospital Service in Key West, Florida. He developed an obsession with this young woman, uh, Elena Milagro de de Hoyos, um, who was one of his patients. Oh. This obsession that he had with her carried on well after her death. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, So... Carl Tanzler, during his childhood in Germany, uh, he traveled briefly in Italy, and he claimed to have had these dreams um, where his ancestor, Countess Anna Konstantina von Kossel, revealed to him the face of his true love, uh, who is this beautiful, exotic, dark-haired woman. And she did this despite the fact that he was already married to a woman named Doris Schaefer. Hmm. It already starts out pretty weird.
0: Yeah, he's, I say, the ghost of his dead relative is like, hey, this is this is who you should be with, Yeah, not who you're with now.
1: Not your wife, you know. <laughs> uh, in the 1930s, he immigrates to the United States and begins working at the Marine Hospital in Key West. Uh, he, this is where he meets Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos, and she is a local Cuban-American woman who has been brought to the hospital by her mother for an examination. Uh, it is then determined that she has tuberculosis. Oof. Yeah, she's got the consumption. She ain't gonna make it. Most people with the consumption did not. Uh, but he, Carl Tanzler, recognizes her immediately as the woman from his dreams. Wow. the This beautiful, exotic, dark-haired huh. love of his life. Uh, so he is immediately obsessed with this woman. Uh, he starts coming up with like cures for her, despite the fact that he's not a doctor. He's like a radiology yeah. tech, and he's like given the he he's like given her random potions that he's made out of random stuff, which I I can't really imagine would be any help Probably to not. her with her tuberculosis. Um, but in addition to all of this stuff, he. He showers her with gifts of jewelry and clothing and professes his love to her, but she is reportedly not into him at all.
0: Oh, that sucks for him. Yeah. I mean, it sucks for him either way because she's going to die.
1: Yeah, but...
0: She's like, nah, I want nothing to do with you. She's like, please,
1: man. <laughs> she's like, dude, I'm... I'm
0: dying. I'm coughing up blood. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing anything with anyone right now. <laughs>
1: Sir, please. I am very sick. Um, and she does die. Uh, 1931 she dies in 1931 Mm. they did not know each other long no however when after she passed away he went to her family and he was like look i really cared about elena um let me pay for her funeral so he pays for her funeral he pays for this like, really elaborate marble crypt in a really nice cemetery. And, like, her family, who is, you know, they're grieving the loss of their daughter, sister, etc. So they, you know, they allow it. And they're like, oh, this guy, how sweet. He really must have cared for Elena. Um, However, after she passed away, one evening in April 1933... Tansler creeps through the cemetery where Elena is buried and removes her body from her crypt. Oh my god. <laughs> he takes it home with him in a little red wagon. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yep. He he took her out of there, man. She'd been dead for two years. And he, he corpse snaps her. Wow. Yeah. Uh brings her to his house. And he he's like, We can I can rebuild her. And he starts tying her bones together with piano wire. Oh, my God. And he this is makes... like
0: Frankenstein.
1: Except grosser. Yes. <laughs> piano wire? Yeah, man. He could... He's a radiologist. He's
0: a smart guy. you can't think of something better to put someone together with than no. piano wire?
1: He makes her into this, like, paper mache thing. Oh, my God. And he's got, like, a big hank of her hair that he, like, constructs into this wig that he just, like, plops on her head. Uh, he's just, like, made this gross, weird effigy of this woman who wasn't into him and kind of just wanted to be fucking left alone to yeah. die. Yeah. Right. Uh, but he, his perspective is that he, her spirit would emerge from the mausoleum and, like, uh, be like, Carl, you should totally bring me to your house. You should take my corpse out of here. And... Yeah, so he he yeah he would sit by her graveside and he would sing her uh, her favorite songs, and she was apparently into this. So he said, "Right, uh, burly man, she's dead. You got you gotta you gotta." Let I think it go. he has
0: definitely he should have been checking himself out with examinations because something's going on. He's seeing visions he, of dead ones and they're, he's seeing visions of
1: others. Now he's—he's he's okay, just not did, right, man. Bringing out corpses. He's just, just not like, right. No, dude wasn't right. Um, he kind of—he kind of mummified her and kept her in his house. Oh my god.
0: I'm gonna say I'm gonna ask something weird because okay. it was in my head okay. i know you're, I know if I look I on know, your face I know what you're gonna ask you know me. exactly I know what, what you're going gonna to ask, ask me. Did he do any weird sex things to this mummy?
1: The answer is probably. <laughs> Okay, so there are that conflicting reports truly. Like for Elena and it's for her form. family, this yeah. is just like terrible. So unbelievably gross and awful that this dude was messed up but also had the audacity.
0: <laughs>
1: oh god. Oh, but um so there are autopsy reports that were released 30 years after all of this that there was, inside the corpse, there was a tube that had been inserted so that something else could be inserted.
0: Well, yep,
1: that answered that question. Yep. And while this is where the debate happens, because there were no photos taken, and while this was noted, it wasn't really... Nobody's really sure if this was... um, just something that was made up after the fact to be even grosser, okay? Or if this was actually something that happened, right? So the answer is there's no conclusive evidence.
0: But knowing but how probably, weird he is. Yeah, probably. he
1: probably violated her corpse. Yes, unfortunately. Um, he when when it was discovered that he was that he had removed Elena from her grave, uh, there were rumors circulating. So one of Elena's sisters went to Carl's house and kinda creeped at his window. Yeah. And through his window she saw him in a room in his home dancing with the effigy oh of Oh my god, her imagine sister.
0: the horrors, the, the shock, the the terror that you'd feel if if, if your sibling died and her body is missing, and you go to the dude's house, and he's dancing with her mummified corpse.
1: Yeah, I, dude, you gotta, you gotta crawl in the window and beat the shit out of him. Wow, there's nothing else you can do in that situation. Jeez, um, it's awful. It's very awful. But she, uh, yeah, she found that, and she called the police, and they, they came for his ass. That's good. <laughs> they they came for him and he went to jail for some time he was ultimately released due to being really messed up
0: <laughs> and he
1: definitely was explains does not excuse there's right. nothing that can make up for you know the the violation that took place uh upon elena's body that was disinterred by this creep And her family, who now knows about it. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, Carl Tanzler finished out his life uh, in 1952 in the care of his wife, Doris, who looked after him. She still looked after him? No, he did this? Yeah.
0: Strength of that woman, I guess, but I wouldn't do that.
1: No, I'd be like, sorry, bro, you gotta gotta go back to jail because you're not coming in my house. Yeah, no,
0: you literally, like, technically cheated on me with a
1: corpse yeah and back in the day he was sensibilities were different and he was kind of regarded as like this this poor besotted romantic
0: i I wouldn't call it romantic
1: no i wouldn't i'd call him a gross creep well that was the gross weird story
0: well if that story doesn't say haunting heartbreak i don't know what does (laughs) i will be
1: haunted by that story for quite some time and yeah yeah, you know about it too I'm going to be
0: thinking about that for a couple days, I think. Especially when I try to sleep at night. I'm going to be thinking about this dude. Wow.
1: I saved the grossest for last.
0: You did. That was good. We don't technically have a spooky fan story for today. However, Hannah has been on the podcast uh, a few times now, and we haven't discussed something that we have done together. Back in college, Hannah and I did a paranormal investigation together in Elmira, New York.
1: We were two little baby ghost hunters. Yes,
0: this was in college. This is when I first started Ghost Encounters. And in Elmira, New York, there is the site of an old Civil War prison. Nothing there is left. It's literally just the grounds. So there's Mm -hmm. no structures. There's a plaque that says a little something about it. But that's pretty much it. Some flags. Um, there were flags. Yeah, there though. were flags. One thing that was cool is when we were like trying to ask the locals about it. Some people didn't had no idea that there was Civil War prison even there. But then that those two dudes that we went up to,
1: the um, guys who didn't want to be on camera.
0: Yeah, but they had really cool stories about like the one dude I remember his grandmother like actually like helped feed some of the prisoners yeah. through the, like the through the walls. Uh huh. Um, so since this was a northern. Civil War prison, it held Confederate soldier prisoners. Mm -hmm. This place was only supposed to house a certain number of people. And as we know, as things happened, it was overcrowded by probably tenfold what it it should be. to say the least. Um, There's this small ravine. That's where the prisoners got their thousands of prisoners bathed, washed their things, and also got their drinking water
1: yeah when
0: when we knowing the story when we saw that little ravine and we knew that thousands of people used that for all those purposes, we were really grossed out
1: yeah it was it was not even a it wasn't even a pond uh, no like if that was in my yard, that's something that you call a guy to come clean up yeah, uh, it just
0: looked like oh it's a there's a spot in the yard that you know Um, fills up when it rains. That's kind of what it looked like. Yeah, it was like... Like, it was long. uh Uh-huh. It wasn't very deep. It wasn't very wide. It was just long.
1: And And stagnant. Stagnant, yes. Yeah, it was just this big, gross patch of standing water.
0: And across from that is an area that was called Smallpox Island. (laughs) It was right across the ravine, and that's where this smallpox hospital was when smallpox broke out in this Civil War prison.
1: And they had like a mad doctor, right? Like who yeah, was, who it was, was very
0: yeah. It was uh, it was eerie to be there at night, especially you know college kids being in a foreign city at night, trying to... ghost hunting, yeah, <laughs> like trying
1: not to scare themselves too bad, not to say anything bad Doing about anyway. Elmira, New York, but there wasn't much out there. There's nothing. Yeah, in there's very really, really, very much. <laughs> out there. there was really like an Applebee's. Um, I
0: don't. Even, I don't even think that was technically in Elmira. That <laughs> was like in like the outskirts. The only thing Elmira had was like there was a McDonald's and a yeah. Wegmans. there was a Wegman's. There was a nice Wegman's.
1: It was. That was a very nice Wegman's. It was mostly it was residential. There was like a yeah. lot of a lot of townhomes.
0: Yeah. But during our investigation, we did capture a few things that were pretty memorable. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The one I I remember is I wouldn't necessarily call it an EVP because it's not a voice. Um, but it was an audio phenomenon. And when we heard the sound of what sounded like hooves tapping on the ground, like a horse galloping. Then we had two actual EVPs, but they had a Southern accent on them. And I've never gotten an EVP with like an accent like that before. And I was so excited and I heard it. But it makes sense because this place housed Confederate prisoners mm-hmm. so they so, would have accents mm-hmm. one said hey yank which Remember that? again yeah, they call that us was... a yank of course oh. and then we had that other one it was like a long sentence He was like quick come on
1: get up come on yeah. it was like
0: it was really cool and it was like you could hear that southern accent coming through on these evps
1: it was it was absolutely bananas man yeah. and i like i try to approach the paranormal with a, a re, not I don't think skepticism is the right word because I do very much want to believe
0: yeah not skepticism but you're not you're like me you're not a person that's going to say every single thing we've seen here is paranormal yeah. you're like me and you 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 have a scientific mind so you try to think about things rationally however things occur that shouldn't be occurring and there is no rational yeah. thought or anything like
1: that you know and it was it was us in a field and it at was night. so quiet <laughs> very it quiet was so quiet
0: that town was very quiet because there's nothing in the town yeah it was kind of eerily quiet
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know like around where we live it does like at night it's quiet but it's not totally Quiet, yeah, there's still know. like
1: a siren or something way yeah, off in the distance. Yeah, you hear cars going by. Traffic.
0: Sometimes you'll hear a train or something, anything. Yeah. You know, but this was eerily quiet for a place that's not in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah. And it was kind of, um and we were near the water too. Yeah. So was I was right think- on the edge of the water yeah uh so i would think there would be at least some kind of critters going down there for a drink but i there was really not very much out there
0: we did not care we were just young and excited and just out in this field where there was a civil war prison the cemetery a, was cool doing civil a war ghost investigation yeah.
1: yeah uh they had some the monuments up there were interesting yeah um
0: That's right, we did go to that cemetery. Yeah. That's cool,
1: that's right, I remember that. Yeah, Civil War Cemetery, that was cool.
0: There were so so many tombstones. Yeah. Too many tombstones.
1: Yeah. That's uh... Because
0: unfortunately, of course, a lot of the prisoners perished.
1: Yeah, Yeah. they all died of... Well, probably there was bad drinking water and smallpox and just about every other thing that you could imagine when you've got like a bunch of malnourished people breathing on each other they
0: they didn't have enough to feed them like it just it was terrible yeah
1: Yeah. um and we had we had that professor who wrote that book didn't we
0: yeah dr gray wrote a book on elmira new york so i was taking his history class and he was going to have us read a book about Anderson prison and i wanted to read something that was more local because I knew I wanted to do a Ghost Encounters episode on a Civil War prison by one of one that was closer. And he told me he actually wrote a book on Elmira's Civil War prison. And I was so excited. And he was so excited that I was interested because he literally <laughs> wrote the book on it. And so instead of reading the one on Anderson, I read his book, which was extremely well written, fascinating. I mean, he he's a great writer, he's a great historian. Did a I didn't read you
1: guys. I'm the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You didn't have time. It's true.
0: But, yeah, after reading that, I learned about the tragedy of the Civil War prison. And, you know, it was only a few hours up north from East Strasbourg University. And so took the trip. A few hours. It was like
1: five hours, guys. So, uh, I would say four. Dude, it was... Like... It was... It was so far. It was so far to drive at like four in the morning. Yeah. It was that just... Was,
0: that was a bit rough. Yeah. I didn't think that one through. No. Airbnb didn't exist. It
1: didn't... Wow. Yeah, it really didn't. No. It's totally a different world. Yeah.
0: But shout out to Dr. Gray for, you know, writing that book and reason why Hannah and I went on this paranormal investigation
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Dr. Gray hell of a guy
0: he is he was uh yeah one of my favorite teachers he's a great guy yeah Jordan took his class too oh and she loved him too
1: man I never had him for a thing
0: he was he's honestly like one of the great teachers of ESU mm -hmm. like definitely hands down
1: and he was like he was a good interview too because I remember that was really I did
0: I did an interview with him on camera about it and you know he, he was definitely Yeah, he was, he was the guy <laughs> that's his thing he's kind of like the his expertise is civil war prisons wow yeah he does lectures and speeches and all kinds of stuff all over well till time do us part because it is the end of this podcast episode oh. unfortunately um thank you all so much for listening um our, our podcast has been growing exponentially since we started and it keeps growing I thank you all for listening Um, If you are listening, please give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. It really helps us out. Spread the word. Share it. Um, Especially if there's an episode that you really like, share it around. Send it to people. And don't forget to send in your spooky fan stories. Uh, We need more stories. And, of course, you can remain anonymous if you wish. Um, If anyone has ever encountered any kind of ghost, spirit, or weird phenomenon... Write your stories into stories at gmail.com, or you can message us on social and all that. Send us some alien stories. I want to read them. Ooh, we haven't had any alien stories coming from people yet. I know there are people out there who are listening that have encountered or seen UFOs, aliens, etc. because I, I know you're out there. Yeah. So let us know your stories. You can remain anonymous if you want to. I myself have seen a UFO, but I will talk about that on... Another episode, episode. yes. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Stay spooky.
1: And if you are going to keep a piece of your deceased loved one, at least make sure that they are into you.